0: This is the Strength Anchor Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bane, here we are, episode nineteen the way of the Strength Anger Podcast. Yep. Here we are. So today we are going to talk about the all time world records. Yes. But let's start off with any loose ends to tie up from last week, Bane? Uh not a
1: ton of feedback, honestly. Uh, I think you know, we did drop the episode a little later in the week. We uh, did, due to me being busy. I apologize for know, that. No worries. You know, you got a life, you got a business to run. Uh we're not getting paid off this yet. Yet.
0: I think we've earned about $8 in ad revenue so far.
1: Nice. Awesome, man. That'll pay for our Uber ride to O'Hare on the way to nationals. Um, (laughs) So so not a ton of feedback, though I know that was an episode that people were uh, were definitely asking for. And so I I anticipate a good amount of feedback from that one.
0: Yeah. Uh, So far, our number one episode continues to be our powerlifting program review. That continues to get a lot of downloads. So we will again look uh, another week to do some more. Programming type content because that seems to be something people are interested in. Yeah,
1: and uh, don't forget to uh, you know leave us a uh, some feedback on the the iTunes. You know we, we appreciate all that from you guys and uh, would really like to hear what you uh,
0: have to say. So other than that, Bane,
1: what is going on with you? Uh, you know what, starting still very early, but getting ready for AAPF Nationals. You know, I've kind of started the blocks, uh, really kind of building a big base to uh, to to go off of, and then to kind of peak for AAPF Nationals uh, in.
0: Baton Rouge. Uh, FYI, I did hear from Gary Frank today. Huzzah! He said he will have the entry form ready by Thursday. All right, Gary, yes. we, uh, we're counting on you. I sent him a message via our, we have a private Facebook group for state chairman, oh, executive committee, and meet directors. So. Gotcha. I figured I wouldn't call him out totally on social media. Do you have to be only.
1: all three of those things to be part of that group? Or? <laughs> any of those three. Okay, any of those three. Uh, and, and here we are, it's, uh, it's Monday, January 27th. Uh, this is not necessarily lifting related, but I think it's sports and, and honestly it's pretty culturally relevant. Uh, and that is the, the passing of, uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, uh, Gigi and, uh, the rest of those are involved in the, uh, helicopter accident yesterday. Uh, I mentioned this to you earlier that this, this one shook me pretty hard. Um, I actually made a post about this one just as I was thinking. I, I like to, to write when i uh you know get all of my feelings and uh go full drake and that 's kind of where I was today and and then I usually bad jokes to you know help me through things, but really just thinking about it like this was a a man that I watched grow up you know he's only a couple of years older than you and i uh he would have been a senior when I was a freshman in uh in high school, and his daughter was very similar in age to mine, and so I just uh you know it was something that really kind of uh, had me stunned for most of yesterday and really just kind of evaluating a lot of things and thinking about just life and, and uh, you know that our days are numbered and to, to one to make them count, but to also uh, make sure that those that matter to you uh, know how much they matter and because uh, I can just it's tough to imagine what those last couple seconds were like. and so uh, you know obviously prayers to uh, to those that were affected by it personally, you know the friends, the family. Uh, cannot even imagine what they are going through right now. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that are, you know, pouring out support right now. And uh, the hope is that, uh, you know, folks are able to, to gain strength and to get through it because, I, I, like I said, I can only imagine what kind of uh, things are going on in their head right now. So uh, obviously a very sobering topic. Uh, but what is going on with you, Eric?
0: Yeah, tough transition from something like that. Uh, I agree with everything you said, Bane. It's – yeah. It's uh, it's sad to see somebody, especially so young, uh, you know, an age that's not terribly far from you and I, Bane. Nope. And it's hard to think about that at our age. That yeah, we could, we could be flying in a plane. We could be driving in a car. Um, we we are not invincible, and I think as powerlifters, we we sometimes maybe feel like we are
1: because we do things that a lot of people can't do. Uh, I think that's why it was very relevant to me. Is is a reminder that uh, we we are not. Uh, we are not invincible we are not uh, immortal uh and it's sexy to to really count uh the blessings that you have around you
0: yeah no doubt and you know maybe on the a similar topic of not feeling invincible mm-hmm. um was that spent the saturday at my son's wrestling tournament yeah you did share that with me <laughs> and uh he was far from invincible in fact he lost three straight matches in the first round via pin ouch and it was a beginner's tournament. This is only his second actual real tournament he's gone to. And maybe about two, two and a half months into wrestling. You know, he did it with encouragement from me. And I told him, hey, let's pick another sport to do this winter. Mm-hmm. He did not like basketball, which he did last uh, last winter. So I said, hey, let's try wrestling. I never wrestled. Sure. But it seems like something he's kind of physical nature that he would enjoy. I like the idea of the the discipline and the the physical nature of it. So it was a tough day. Uh, he was not as discouraged, I think, as actually I would have been. He stayed okay. stayed fairly positive. I mean, he was discouraged. You he, sure. lose three times. It's not optimal. You're not coming out there dancing and singing. No, he wasn't happy about it, but he, you know, in a previous tournament, he cried because he got headbutted in the chin a couple times. Well, that,
1: that's a legit thing, too,
0: especially more than once. That's I can appreciate that. Right. So he didn't cry. Um, he stayed mostly positive. So a learning experience, I hope. Sure. We can come out on the other end and, you know, uh, with some encouragement and maybe some additional, you know, training and camps and stuff like that, give wrestling at least one more season try. And then if he doesn't like it, you know, if he continues to not be his thing, you know, I don't want to force him to do it, but it seems like he's enjoyed it. So sure. and, and yesterday maybe was a, a negative sort of end to it. He does have a couple more weeks left to practice, but... Okay. You know, we we chatted about it yesterday. I asked Bane, you know, has he had an experience where his kids have just been <laughs> demolished in a sporting event, which is kind of what I felt like. Um, I mean, again, it's a seven-year-old wrestling tournament. I, it's not it's not the biggest deal in the world. But, you know, as a parent, how do you best help your kids move th- through that? I mean, you and I have both yep. played sports for many years and lost many games. and we have. Uh, we have. It's something you have to deal with in life. And it's hard to think about what the best way that is to convey to your children. Yeah, I think that's – and we talk about this a
1: little bit, you know. Uh, typically, if the folks think about, you know, my kids in sports, usually I think about Lily because she's, you know, a little more prominent as far as the Bain children and, and athletics. And generally speaking, Lily has, has never – I think I told you this yesterday. She's never been punched in the mouth, you know, when it comes to, to sports. Uh, Nolan, uh, my youngest son on the other hand, he, he kind of has – you know, he's not necessarily – uh, as naturally inclined to athletics as his sister is, still has some some great, you know, physical gifts. But, uh, you know, Nolan kind of had to deal with that. And really it was a lot of – it started out with him playing soccer was, you know, he did the first few practices, did the first game, didn't do well, got sat in the second half, which, you know, whether you agree with that or not, is neither here nor there. And didn't necessarily like all the kids on his team. And I basically told him, like, listen, you're going to complete the season. You can You can be done afterwards. I don't care. Uh, but you will not quit because that is just, uh, to me, that is an unacceptable practice.
0: I agree. I, it's always been my parents' philosophy, and I've adopted this to my kids. Once you sign up for something, we're going to see it through to the end, whatever right. that is, the, the session or the season, whatever it is, right. and then we can reevaluate well, at the l- end. Unless l- l- there's some catastrophic injury and that prevents you from doing it, which i right.
1: that's fine, but you know, if this is because, oh, I don't like my teammates, well, you, you will learn today. <laughs> that is
0: how I uh, typically handle that. Yeah, and there were some positive. Jacob was getting along well with his teammates. They were hanging out between yeah, matches, good, you know, playing their gaming devices. He seemed to like hanging out with the other got kids. The, got their video game machines, right? Yeah, they're they're game th- boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyways, Bane, uh, let's uh, let's go on to maybe something a little bit less serious, a little lighter, a little lighter tone. Yeah. Uh, what is bullshit,
1: Bane? Fucking cancel culture is bullshit. <laughs> Whoa.
0: <laughs> we're getting fired up here this oh my gosh can can, for those of those in in the audience that are not in tuned with the The uh, right (laughs) yeah with what's going on and like you know pop culture what does that mean so cancel culture is when someone
1: has basically has a transgression whatever that's going to be and sometimes these are very legitimate things uh, you know, you you are accused of sexual assault. That's one that kind of really is prominent to me. The Me Too movement was really, really big uh, as part of this. But for for me, what it, my issue with it is this cancel culture does not wait for everything to play out. I'm not saying that we should promote any type of victim shaming. You can have an argument either way. But the person who is being accused should have their day in court, so to speak. Uh, whether that's legitimately in a court of law or should be able to speak their mind or be able to present that, it, whether, again, it's in a legal setting or not, if what happened actually happened the way it's being tra- described. Uh, I think a, a, a that that's usually the the sexual assault version. That is very touchy. I understand that. I never, ever want to say that someone is making that up because more often than not,
0: they are not. Sure, but there are instances where it has been. It's, Correct. it's at least less it's at least more than zero.
1: It is more than zero. It is it is the minority, and I get that. I don't wanna again I, I do not want to discount that. The other one, and this is the one that makes me the most mad, is when we cannot take into account kids being fucking stupid. I can guarantee that if you and I had access to social media and we were thirteen, fourteen. And we said dumb things at that time. I can guarantee it. You're a pretty smart dude, but I can guarantee you said some dumb ones. Yep. And I can guarantee I have said many dumb things. I've said many dumb things in public to people I should not have said it to. But if I had the opportunity to do that via social media, having an audience of millions, and then suddenly now, here I am. I am Robert Bain. I am a professional. I have a career. And then somebody pulls up, hey, remember when you were 12 and you said that, you know, grabbing by the pee or you know something like that? Or you drop the N-bomb, and now all of a sudden I lose my job, I lose my home, my family disowns me, and I'm essentially a social outcast. Hold hold on a second. Is is it not possible that I may have matured in the, you know, 26 years since then?
0: Yeah, I thought it was always in the American culture the thought that we do forgive and forget if somebody comes forward with, you know, a true apology and is you know, contrite in their apology and, you know, truly wants to change. I thought that was always, you know, it it was always that America will give people a second chance. I thought, but it it seems like that is not the case. Now, if you made a post about how maybe you supported the Republican party on Twitter when you were 16, Mm -hmm. now you shouldn't get a Hollywood part.
1: Right. I think that's just not correct. Or somebody said, Hey, I, you know, think all people that go to this high school are gay, you know, and because they're a rival yeah. high school. And now of a sudden you lose a college scholarship.
0: Right. A bad joke. Right. Sh- shouldn't make it. But you, you, stupid kids right. say stupid things. They do. And, and you have an opportunity to, to your point,
1: be contrite, apologize, <clears throat> say, hey, I, I done did fucked up. And there's some things that that doesn't count for. But generally speaking, like I'm, I'm using the tweets as an ex- a prime example right? for this.
0: Well, because but. it's, I mean, you could go on your phone while I'm talking right now yep. and tweet literally anything within about 10 seconds. Go feffy. I can. I could do that, and
1: but it just it blows my mind that that anything
0: we, anything specific that brought on this anger, bane, or
1: just in general, not something I'm going to share necessarily today. But yes, uh, there is a story behind this, and okay. it, it is a very personal one, and so I'm not necessarily ready to share that uh, sure. in this setting. But yeah, so I, I just it just bugs the hell out of me that we are willing to, in some cases, ruin a young man or woman's life. Because of a mistake that they made and that they are contrite about. But we have determined that their their contriteness is not to the standard that we have set. Or for some reason, they need to be punished even more. I don't understand that. Uh, well, I, I, and one of the examples that also I always think about is Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. So many people after, and I, I do not condone what he did. What he did was terrible. It, it, he did not treat animals in a humane way. It, it, the way he did things was absolutely wrong don't disagree with that at all. We have a standard here in the society based on the crimes that he committed and the time that he needed to serve, incarcerated. He did all that, he repaid his debts. Think about this. This is a man who owed a hundred million dollars to creditors. He paid every single penny back. He does consistent community service work across all types of philanthropic genres, not just animal rights. right? And yet there are still people that say a lot. Uh, many people who say I would w- rather see him hang.
0: I, I mean, I and it's a touchy subject when you talk about animal cruelty. And, I think and obviously that's a terrible thing to say, considering what race he used to. Right. I, I mean, I agree with you 100 percent on that. I'm not like a, a a Vic supporter, but I do think like we have determined in our culture that okay, this is the justice system. It's mm-hmm. not perfect, but we've determined. That. But we've determined that this is the system that we use as a people. You're innocent until proven guilty, but mm-hmm. when you are proven guilty. Here's your debt to society. Here's how long you go to prison. Here's the here's the fine you have to pay. And when that's over, like shouldn't you be able to return to society in some form? You know, it's like is he not allowed to work? I mean, isn't it better for people if after Vic, you know, goes to prison, he's allowed to come back and make millions of dollars to pay that millions of dollars back. Yeah, I mean, he
1: he he made it all whole. That's what I don't get. Like, why is it like why is this part yeah. of it bad? Yeah. And
0: I, that's not to say I like you. I don't support anything he did with dog fighting, but no. at the same time, like when is it like could it ever be okay for people that hate him? I don't think it could be. Like I think like you said, I think in their mind, he would have to be tortured the way that those dogs were tortured Correct. for it to be and I don't for agree. for to be equitable. Right, for it to be equitable. I don't agree with an eye for an eye in that I mean, we've determined here's the here's the justice system. Right, Robert Vick served more time in jail than most. Michael, Michael Vick, I'm sorry, <laughs> use my name, but that's okay. Oh yeah, we got Robert Bain and and <laughs> yes, yes. Now again, just to
1: clarify, I am a Michael Vick supporter. I was a supporter of his in college. I was a supporter of him in the pros. I was heartbroken when this all happened. And I was happy for him when, you know, he, he made his comeback.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, when I say I'm not a supporter of him, I'm just saying I don't oppose him either. I just no. I'm, wasn't a fan of his one way or the other. Sure. I'm just saying that I agree with you that if we've determined that serving whatever it is, three years in prison, is his debt society, and he pays back his what he owes creditors, at what point has he done what he's been asked to do over? And, and then
1: I, I use the example, too, of, you know, okay, so we have this double standard. Never proven, but Ray Lewis was accused of murdering two men.
0: People, humans. Or or at least aiding. Yeah, humans,
1: not animals, humans. And now he was not convicted. Nope. But he then went, played, and won a Super Bowl after that. And was still lauded to this day. It is. He is. And so I just... (sighs) That's the other issue I have with cancel culture is it is so inconsistent. It's just who do we feel like pointing the finger at today? And the only reason that Michael Vick turned into the debacle it was is because his boys rolled on him yeah and Ray Lewis' guys didn't
0: yeah you're not wrong so sounds like this is a bullshit. this is yeah this is a topic that you get fired up about just like the Michael Jordan conspiracy theory because it's a conspiracy theory I right? right. We'll, we'll we'll go on that another one we've gone <laughs> off on a long enough tangent we we have so stone what is what is bullshit okay here's what's bullshit and it's totally relevant to our topic at hand it very much is this whole raw sleeves, raw wraps. Raw, 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 raw. There was a discussion on the APF uh, Facebook group <laughs> this past week where somebody asked, How do we get the APF to approve sleeves as part of, quote, raw? And my response was, We already have two raw categories. How many more do we need? And I've already made my feelings on this known in previous podcasts where mm-hmm. if it were up to me, Whatever it is, it's sleeves, wraps, nothing. Let's just have one raw category. That's enough, in my opinion. And I, don't get me wrong. I agree that there is a difference between nothing on your knees and wraps. That's, that's the biggest difference, no doubt. Correct. I mean, yes, you probably potentially could get 100 pounds out of a really, really tight knee wrap, three meters. Possibly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the minority of people. And is there a difference between knee sleeves and wraps? Yes, there's a difference but is there a big enough difference that we need an entirely separate category for it? My answer is no. It's either you've got support or you don't have support. If we're going to have any separation, I agree with the way the APF does it, where it's totally bare need or it's wraps. I just, why do we have to parse things out so much? Because I that, want
1: that intergalactic state record. In and,
0: and here, here's what really bothers me. There's somebody that commented in there and said, I would never compete sleeved against somebody that's wrapped. But the same people are the ones that say, well, I'm just competing against myself and to break my own PRs. And it's me against myself on the platform. Okay, well, if that's the case, why does it matter for you to have your own division? You can compete in the Multiply division. And I mean, you guys make really cool
1: trophies here, Eric.
0: That's probably <laughs> why. I could give you a John Smoker's email, and he could make you up a really, really cool trophy. But I want to I earn that trophy on the platform. So, In my
1: submasters, you know, raw
0: with sleeves division. It's just how, how, how much do we need to parse things out? So, would this be new age raw versus classic raw? I guess. This is like poppy raw, is sleeves oh, raw. Oh, there we go. Poppy raw. You know, and again, like raw is a made up term. B- so, we can B S A P O. So, we can make it whatever we want because usually raw is, you know, a description for meat. And right. I'm not taking M-E-E-T that we lift, compete in. I'm talking M-E-A-T that Bain has for dinner. Mm-hmm. Noms. So, yes, I, it just bugs the hell of me, and I'm tired of it. Um, if And if other organizations want to do it, fine. That's like other organizations have walked out squash with a 45-pound bar. We don't need to be everything to everybody in the APF. No. Like, here's what we are. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Here's why we think it's better. And... If you would like to compete in a 45-pound bar walkout meet, that's cool. I think there's a place in the marketplace for that. Yes, That's not what we do, and we the, don't need to be all things to all people. Th- this is – so I,
1: <clears> I was actually talking about this uh, last week at work, and somebody was asked, like, well, I see people, like, they're in, like, the power racks, and they, and they walk out, and they have, like – they have bumper plates on, right? It was, it was CrossFit gym they were sure. at. Sure. And I'm like, Here, here's, like, the difference. I'm not going to say what's what, but it's what's your preference? Do you like a pickup truck? Do you like an SUV? Do you like a little critter car, a little like Honda Civic? Like what what's your preference? And every one of us has a different preference. Mine happens to be a big SUV. I'm a, you know, a little bit bigger guy. Large family, you know, if we ever go anywhere, I like to have a big SUV. May not be practical for some people from a financial perspective. And if you're a single guy, a, you know, suburban probably isn't the most practical thing for you and you may not want to do that. Now you may, and that's fine. You can do those things. It simply comes down to your preference. And so therefore, there has been a, a market identified for each one of these. That is why you have these different federations, the whole alphabet soup of powerlifting. And these ones that are that have grown and are continuing to grow, so you look at your USPAs, the APFs, the USAPLs of the world, they obviously have found the markets that are growing. And so it's not right or wrong. It's simply different, and people see value in it.
0: Right. and And I've always said I'm a believer in the free market, so... You know, I didn't even necessarily America. want to. I didn't even necessarily want to add a raw division to the APF, but the market demanded it, and it made sense. And I think it does make sense now to have a raw division, at least one. Yeah, there's a definitive difference between equipped and raw, and I was opposed to that in the past. So you know, you do need to listen to your customers uh, if the APF is a you know a service that that yep. we provide. Um, but it's just you know, at what point is it? You know, and, and this is where I think it comes from, Bain is that you've got a lot of new lifters that train by themselves in their mm-hmm. little power rack, yep. and they don't, they don't want to train with anybody else. And we all know that if you want to train with wraps or if you want to train with equipment of any type, squat suits, bench shirts, mm-hmm. you really need other people. And I think it's, they don't want to get out of their bubble mm-hmm. and just train in their own little space with their little knee sleeves that is three sizes too small <laughs> and that they use, you know, garbage bags to slip on. They probably, the people who are complaining probably don't. No, they But, they but there are people that do that. There are people that l- quite literally use garbage bags to slip on extra, extra small knee sleeves and they do get poundage out of them. I would guarantee some of the big guys get 50 pounds out of them. And I could wrap my knees to where, I'm not getting 50 pounds out of him, I can tell you that. Sure. Rant over.
1: Yeah, but it, it, it is bullshit. It, it's, yeah, it's dumb.
0: So, anyways, Bane, let's move on to the yeah, Powerlifting USA throwback. let talk some history, man. Um, not going too far back here. We've got the Powerlifting uh, USA. 16 years, my friend. Yeah. The Powerlifting, oh, it doesn't seem that long for me. I, the Powerlifting <laughs> USA from... Dude, you're younger than I am. <laughs> Jackass. Who's <laughs> my name
1: here. I have more hair than I
0: probably uh, this is the part of from December 2004. Now, what were you doing in December 2004, Bane? Uh, let's
1: see here. Uh, well, Nick and I would have been planning our wedding at that point. So,
0: were you uh, in college?
1: We we had just finished college. Uh, so because I graduated uh, early, so so I've been working at that point for a little uh, close to a year. Um, Nick was wrapping up with school as well. So we had we had gotten engaged the prior December. And we were going to get married in September of two thousand five, and I. We were riding home with some friends, and one of the, the the husband asked, "Like, why are you waiting? What's What's the point?" I'm like, "Oh, it's because we have to plan things." And I said, "Why don't you just see if you could do it earlier?" And so this is like again the the end of December of two thousand four, and so I called the church that I grew up with in Iowa, and like, yeah, we have uh, April 2nd available. I'm like, okay, cool, because April 1st would be weird. Nobody would probably show up because it's a joke. And, yeah, so we moved our wedding up, you know, whatever, five months. And uh, that's why we got married on April 2nd. It was because somebody said, why are you waiting until September?
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Interesting. And we planned. Now, funny thing is, after we did that, I marked it on the calendar. And then as I was flipping through my calendar in March of 2005, I was suddenly reminded, oh, shit, we changed the date of our wedding. And we planned our wedding in three weeks.
0: Wow. So you didn't then go start planning it? After December?
1: Nope. Oh, boy. Yeah, we did that. So we, we had her dress picked out like that part was done, and we were we were buying that. But then we just called in a bunch of favors. And it really helped that I did not provide any booze at the wedding because
0: none of my college teammates showed up. Ah. Yeah, because they're cool like that. So let's see. December 'o five. I would have been in college. Um, I would have, at that point, been training with the Marosha team. You um, know, in 'o oh, four or 2005? okay. You said 'o five. so. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so you said 05, but this was December '04. Yeah, got I think oh, I would have.
1: Yes. I, I was okay.
0: I think cool. I would have started to train a little bit with the Morocheur team. Um, I believe it was in the spring of '04, maybe the spring of 05, One of those two that um, Jackie and I and our teammate Shara went out to AAPF Nationals in Las Vegas. Nice. Um, yeah, maybe that was '05. So we would have been leading into that at that point. Viva Las Vegas. My only time to Las Vegas, actually. Ooh. oh you got to come with me sometime. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so on the cover of this month of the Palo Alto USA is Wade Hooper and Brian Siders, who are guys that really aren't talked about a lot. Have you ever heard of these two? I've I heard of Hooper's name once, ever. Mean, but Siders never heard of him. I mean, these are both, you should look them up because these are both prolific, like really high level USAPL, IPF lifters. Like back in the day when I first started lifting, I didn't really follow the USAPL or IPF that much, but these two I knew. Um, And this is talking about them both winning gold at the IPF Worlds, which at the time was, there weren't a lot of US lifters that were winning gold at IPF Worlds. Mm. I mean, they were really dominated by, you know, some of the Eastern European countries. And there's always the talk about when the USPF lost the IPF affiliation that the USAPL, wasn't feeling as good of a team, mm-hmm. with the thought process being perhaps that their doping protocols were <laughs> perhaps leading to a disadvantage. Mm. Um, there's also on the cover Gene Rychek Jr. Uh, with, uh, some for some reason, a mic in his hand um, and a bench shirt on, talking about his 1,005 bench. Um, this must have been right after he hit 1,005. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so also in, the, uh, in yeah, the issue. I'd want to know the story behind the mic in the hand. I, I want to know that. And thinking back, I think it was something like after he hit the 1,005, like they gave him the mic to like say thank you to all his sponsors and people or something. Okay. Which, I don't know, I guess whatever. Sure. T's their own. There was an article in this issue on deadlift training with Louis Simmons. Ooh. No deadlifting in his deadlift program. <laughs> well, I should say. There's a lot of good mornings in the max effort work. I mean, he listed probably 15 different types of good mornings. Jesus. And talked about speed work on the deadlift, um, but not a lot of direct deadlift training. Just speed deadlifts and good mornings was the west side protocol. So basically, we do heavy good mornings and we do speed work. That's, I mean, that's basically what they did in those days for deadlifts. <laughs> um we also had the women's, and, and again, very relevant. I just picked this issue at random, but very relevant to what we're talking about today. Yeah. These were done by Herb Glossbrenner. Okay. Uh, they're the women's all-time bench press rankings. Um, at the top of that is Tina Reinhart with a 182.5-kilo bench at a 60-kilo body weight from the WPO. Nice. And these are via the new, at this time, Glossbrenner formula, which is the formula that we use in the APF. Mm-hmm. There's also the men's all-time bench press rankings, which at this time, number one was Gene Rychek with his 455.86 kilo, which I'm assuming is the 1,005-pound yeah. bench. And it's interesting because the women's list was highlighted by a lighter female, which usually with the formulas, you're going to have yep. your lighter lifters. But in this case, Gene Rycheck's bench was just so far and above everybody. Um You know, he just he still had the highest formula and the highest bench, kind of like currently with Dave Hoff. Right below him was Ryan Canelli, Scott Mendelson, Andy Fiedler. All of these guys are, um, you know, big, big level benchers. Um, then when you got to number five, you had Marcus Sheik, who I believe was a German lifter, and he did a four times body weight lift with 645. And the uh let's see if it lists his weight class uh, Marcus seventy three point one, so that would have been one sixty five. Wow, yeah. Geez. He was a little a legitimate little person. Nice. Um so if you look at the picture in here, they've got literal They had the blocks? I mean literal cinder blocks for yes. his feet because his legs are so short. Nice. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, that is Ernie Franz there as the head referee. That's on dope. Marcus Sheeps. That's lift. dope. So we've also got um, a letter from Karen Kidder in here. And I thought this was interesting. This is around the time, and we will do an episode on this at some point, the whole L.B. Baker World Powerlifting Committee, Global Powerlifting Committee, you know, situation when Mm -hmm. L.B. Baker and Jim Rausch left the APF, claimed they had control of the APF. I was, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of all around in that. But Karen has a... uh, a letter where he talks about how he's going to move the APF WPC all to Florida, including Amy Jackson. Oh, well then. Which uh, did not happen. <laughs> Amy says, wrong. Yeah, Amy still lives in Aurora. But at yeah. the time, Kieran kind of wanted to separate. I think for a while, Amy worked for Kieran slash worked for the APF WPC and was also still working at a friend's gym. Okay. And Kieran felt like there was a conflict there. And so eventually he moved Amy just to work out of her house, which is what the compromise... He offered to move her down to Florida. I don't think Amy's husband was in favor of yeah. that, because he had a job around here. Right. So instead of moving to Florida, she moved out of working at Franz gym and just works out of her house now. Okay. For a while, she still would go into Franz gym and work for a couple hours in the morning to keep things relatively in order. So this is
1: actually kind of in the vein of today's uh, topic, but did she compete at one time, or how did she get affiliated with...
0: No, that's that's no. Uh, and we should have Amy on for an interview sometime yeah. to talk about this. But basically, she just entered, uh, answered a classified ad in the paper for secretary for Franz Jim. Really? Yeah, she had nothing to do with powerlifting. And she got caught
1: up in this crazy life because of it.
0: Yes, she, was, <laughs> she just answered a classified ad. She was, I think, working as a paralegal before that. Okay. Um, or something of that ilk. And she just answered an ad. And Ernie lucked out finding someone like Amy who is just, and I love Ernie. Don't get me wrong. But Ernie hired a lot of bums and <laughs> people that stole from him. Yeah. And he really lucked out finding somebody like Amy that's so super organized. Yeah. Um, if you don't know Amy Jackson, she is a fucking stud. Yeah. She is. She's amazing. She is the engine that runs the APF WPC, undoubtedly. Without her, we would not be where we are today. Um but uh, yeah, That's she... Really she funny memes of her from uh, Nationals last year. She literally <laughs> just answered a classified ad and then she started doing basically everything. You know, yeah. At that time, there was the gym. The biggest part of Ernie's business was actually his mail order business for mm-hmm. his you know, canvas squat suits, denim bench shirts. Right. Um, and then she also was running some of the APF stuff. And then eventually, she was doing almost exclusively APF stuff because that became such a big portion of what was going on. And then when... You know, Karen bought the WPC from Ernie. Mm-hmm. He wanted Amy to become his employee, mm. you know, full time. And so right. that's kind of where that came from. Gotcha. Gotcha. We've also got the top 100 list of the 148s from August 2003 to September 2004. Okay. So we've got TJ Horner, who I don't know, but he had a 716 squat. <laughs> this is all equipped. Um, The owner of Orlando oh, Barbell. All cheaters got it. Yeah. The owner of Orlando Barbell, uh, Brian Schwab, with a 501-pound bench. Nice. And he also was top of the total with a 758 total. And then I don't know him, but M. Williams with a 633 deadlift at 148. Nice. Also of note was Nick Hatch, who would go on to total 1,900 at 165. Good Lord. At this, he was number two in the squat with 700 number 2 in the bench with 462. I don't see him at the deadlift but he was number 2 in the total with 1675. I competed against him at just a year later um at 05 uh maybe it was 06 but it was National APF Senior Nationals in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um it was one of those years I competed against him and I like he had a humongous total like 19 something. I totaled Huge. like you know, 15, 16, and took sixth place of, like, 13 Jeez. people. Wow. And finally, I thought was interesting, there's a big advertisement in the back on what use of these drugs can kill you. <laughs> and it's a free 205-page normal-value 1995 book that's yours for free. And I don't know how you get it. I guess you just had to call the guy, but it's this book called Steroids Kill. Will You Be the Next Victim? And by Tom Ciola. and all you had to do was send uh, a check or money order for the shipping to Athletes Against Steroids Which in twenty three ninety five. Yeah, <laughs> Athletes Against Steroids to Orlando, Florida, and he would uh, he would send you this free book. And I actually looked it up; it was available used on Amazon and eBay. Nice. It was for sale on Amazon for ten bucks. It was actually thirty five bucks on eBay. What? I'm not sure why anybody would pay thirty-five dollars for something that you got for five dollars, and is just going to tell you how steroids can kill you. Gee, That's. So, I have many things, but nothing to say about that. Yep. That's so funny. on to our topic at hand, Bane. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the all-time world records. You know where they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the man behind them, and it really is just one man that is behind him, Michael Sung. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about how he got involved and, you know, the controversy around, it, because there is a lot of controversy around the all-time world records. Right. So Michael Soong, um, there's not a lot of information out there about him. And we'll go into this a little bit more later, but um, it came out recently that, we talked about this in the last, mm-hmm. uh, last episode, that Michael Soong has passed. Yeah. Um, he has died, unfortunately. Um, there's not a lot of information about him personally. I mean, I literally... Was only able to find one interview that's very short that he sent to me years ago. And um,
1: actually, I, I tried to read that
0: when uh, during training tonight, and it actually would not pop up on my phone. So, okay, well, it, it was like an odd file. Yeah. So, uh, it's very short. This is it. It's basically just you know about two or three paragraphs that he wrote, um, and he talks about how he got involved in powerlifting during his first semester in college, um, fall nineteen eighty seven at the University of Florida. I was five. At the time, he was majoring in mechanical engineering, and he ended up switching majors to a degree in civil engineering. And once he got involved in the sport, one of his very first questions was, what are the all-time rankings with powerlifting? And that's when he says he learned about the different politics of powerlifting and the, using his words, quote, infinite plethora of records and rankings within the infinite amount of powerlifting federations, along with, you know... Different subcategories, you know, raw, single ply, etc. And he says what he was looking for was a quote, grand consolidated all-time rankings list, which put politics and multiple subcategories aside, and merely listed the best performances ever recorded in the history of the sport. Interesting. And so Michael seems very logical, actually. It, it, and I, I have never talked in person with; I've only emailed with Michael, but. That's the type of person he is. He's very logical. He's very numbers-oriented. Um, when he realized that no such rankings or listings existed, he just went out to do it himself. And he lists in this short interview, he said, he decided to follow the old Latin maxim, sit feet per me feet. And I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, but... What about feet? When you... <laughs> Send feet. Is that what you said? Yeah. When you (laughs) translate that to English, it means if it is to be, it is up to me. And I like that.
1: I I like that as well. Actually, uh, that
0: was one of the first tattoos I almost got. And it uh, it really became a labor of love for him. And we're going to talk more about it. But he, you know, eventually created all kinds of lists, more so than... Anybody pre and I would guess post will have ever ever created. Mm-hmm. Let me just read from this short article because he did say he wanted to dedicate the spirit of his research to Dr. B. A. Christensen, his beloved hydraulics professor from college. Huh. He was the man who truly taught him how to a how crucial hard work, eth- ethic, tenacity, perseverance, Persistence, dedication, commitment, and most importantly, a sense of humor are towards life, progress, innovation, accomplishment, success, humanity, and last but certainly not least, passing his hydraulics course. <laughs> that's directly from Michael Soong's short interview that at one point was on Westside Barbell's website. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, he started, apparently, I didn't see it back in those days, but he started at least working on this back in the late 80s. I didn't, no, I didn't even start powerlifting, obviously, until the 2000s. Right. But when I started powerlifting, I soon had heard about it. Um, my first correspondence with him, with him was back in '03. You know, uh, he eventually created the all-time world records, you know, all federations in the world, mm-hmm. the all-time American records, the all-time world rankings, which, w- w- depending on which iteration you looked at, were either top twenty or top fifty. Okay, there was the all-time American rankings, which again, depending on which list he published, were top twenty or top fifty. He had him. He once sent me a document. It, he listed well beyond that. He had them listed for hundreds. Jeez, and was constantly updating them. And starting about twenty twelve twenty thirteen, he had the all-time raw world rankings, raw. and then. And then all of them, you know, below that as well. Okay, um, he had each list had every weight class for men's and women's for all three lifts and the total, and he also kept a coefficient list for all of those as well for all the lifts for men and women. Um, he kept some separate lists for like the first lifters to break certain barriers you know the first sure. lifters to break the 800 pound and 900 pound yeah. and thousand pound bench f- barrier f- the 4x body weight and- yep he, he he did you know eventually when he started adding raw he did like you know the first lifters to break the 600 pound raw barrier um I, I don't know if that time if anybody had done 700 he kept track of the following for every lift the date of the lift the exact weight of the lift the exact body weight the multiplier of body weight the nationality of the lifter, the location, and the federation, whether it was raw and equipped. Um, he you know, obviously kept track then with the body weight, the coefficient of each lift right. for each lifter. And this was just something interesting I saw that kind of speaks to the level of detail that he went into. Um, if you look in his raw rankings or raw records document, mm-hmm. This is directly from his document. Note on raw deadlift records. Within my listings, I decided not to compile all time raw deadlift records due to the following time constraints. Most importantly, please understand the monumental undertaking that it would do to research which historic deadlifts were done, quote, without deadlift suits. Furthermore, many athletes, like Ed Cohn, actually prefer to deadlift without a suit. To research all historic deadlifts, and whittle through this information would be realistically impossible. However, within my work, I will list if a competitor performed deadlift without a belt, which is typically uncommon. Deadlift is the power lift which is least affected by equipment. Thus, the discrepancy between comparing raw and equipped deadlift should not be quite as extreme as in the squat and bench press. So so this spoke to a couple things to me, outside of just what he said. Uh, First of all, that the level of detail Mm -hmm. that Michael Soong went into these lists. Moreover, it spoke to his level of understanding of the sport. And t- to my research, he may have power lifted like I don't know, maybe competitively in college. I could not find I could not find any results on open powerlifting or anywhere. The only the only information on him is related to these all time world records. So it is. I assume that at some point he lifted weights, but to my knowledge, I never heard of him lifting in any meets. I'd never heard of anybody actually meeting him or seeing him at meets only corresponding with him um
1: which is it is so interesting it's almost like he's this myth- uh, this mythical you know
0: person i mean cuz you hear people talk about sung's list right. So's list and if you look up all-time world records connected to that that is one thing and we'll talk about how this is not something he did for profit um yeah. he was paid some but not very much but he always made sure that it was credited. He did want his work credited, but he did not do this because he thought it was going to bring gobs of money to him. I mean, that original interview I I read from, it, he basically did it because he wanted to see it. He did something he wanted done. That's, uh, that's just wild to think about, that how
1: many people have benefited from just him doing something that he thought would be neat.
0: Right, and that he probably <laughs> spent hours doing. He combed the internet for results. He combed Powerlifting USA for results. He worked originally with Herb Glossbrenner, um, who was the statistician originally for Powerlifting mm-hmm. USA that did the top uh, top 100 lists, and he was the the individual who we have the Glossbrenner formula for the APF WPC. Mm-hmm. Um, he combed the internet for international, even high school meets that were listed in his uh, records and rankings. Most of the time, throughout most of the Time that he created these lists, he was not paid anything. In fact, uh, at one point, he offered to send me the records to list on Mm ChicagoPowerlifting.com. At the time, I just didn't have the time to do the constant updates that he needed. I wish I had and started that, and it could have been a spot that it could have, you know, been a home, been a home for it. But I just I didn't have the ability to do it, or I didn't have the time to do it. Right. Um, I did. Get confirmation from powerliftingwatch.com that they did pay him monthly a part of the subscribers, because to get his full records and rankings list, you did need to subscribe to Powerlifting Watch. Right. Um, I mean, but his list at different times had been, you know, along with Herb Glossbrenner and Powerlifting USA, they had been on Powerlifting Watch they had been on powerlift no, they'd been on westside barbells website which is where the short interview came from It had been on criticalbench.com there was other places i think at one point he was involved with muscle mag uh which was a alternative to powerlifting usa in the mid 2000s i think he listed some of his uh records and rankings in there okay he would seek out lifters via email to let them know that they had broken an all-time world record or that they had moved up on the list and would send them the list and the weight class Right, um, when they you know, rose the rankings. In fact, he would email me and ask me if I would be willing to give out Lifter's emails. And of course, most of them were happy to get the oh, email from yeah, Michael. Of course. In fact, most of them would take a screenshot of it and post it on social media. Right. Um, but I mean, he truly was... We made it, fam. Right. I mean, he truly was... He just wanted the information out there. He didn't ask for anything... Um, it became eventually my modus operandi to just send results from meets to him, along with the APF, right. along with Powerlifting Watch, and now along to OpenPowerlifting.com. Right. Um, just to give some context on my interactions with Michael, never met him. Mm-hmm. Um, we have emails going back and forth between the two of us on various meets all the way back to 2003. That's wild. Uh, he and I had discussed doing an interview back in 2016. Mm-hmm. I wish I had acted on that immediately. It was one of those things that, like I said, okay, let me just, when I have more time, I'll, I'll work on that. It was a project in the back of my mind. And he was willing to do it. He had this very short interview. He said, I think that would be great. I think it would be nice if people had more information on us. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast, to get out at least the information that I know and that I can get out there on him. Uh, i would have liked to learn more about him personally and about uh, a little bit more on his involvement in powerlifting mm-hmm. yeah, i did. Like I, I need to know this like i yeah, need to know this man's story it's, it's i eventually sent him questions and i never heard a response um I, I never even got a response at all i would still occasionally hear from him after that but he never responded to my my emailed questions and my only thought is uh he probably like me thought okay i'll Tag that for later and I'll respond to it at some other point. If I had sent immediately sent him the questions, I might have gotten, you know, response. Right, right. And now, unfortunately, it's too late, which is sad because yeah. his, his work is historic. Um, it was first reported online, as far as we can tell, on Facebook on January 12th by an individual, Bill Shoemaker, mm-hmm. who I'm, I am not familiar with. I did not, I was not acquainted with him. He is a power lifter mm-hmm. from what I can see on Facebook, on social media. He confirmed with me privately that Michael had died, in, uh this past November, I corresponded with Powerlifting Watch. You know, I was I, basically I had seen a couple social media posts, but there was nothing nothing definite out there. I mean, I,
1: I yeah, I, it was not like this. Big, I I could big not big coverage in the powerlifting world.
0: I could not find an obituary. I um, you know, I reached out to Powerlifting Watch, and they had just said that they had been informed by his employer. Um, and they were, the family had asked Powerlifting Watch to not really publicize it, because I, I had kind of assumed that, you know, because his lists were on Powerlifting Watch, that they would have something on him. Right. Um, and, and along that vein, keeping in line with family wishes, we'll just keep it that he did pass in November 2019. Yeah. And we'll just talk about his work, and we don't really need to say anything more about his, uh, his passing so the all-time world records so what were they well it, it, when he started them again they were they were basically all equipped because that's all there was right and they are a list of every lift from every sanctioned meet and i don't know if michael included big unsanctioned meets or not right uh, my my guess is probably he did i do know that eventually he did disqualify meets from what we considered backyard organizations like Sunlight Power, sure. Um, but for the most part, Michael kept politics, you know, out of the list, and he he said that, and he was aware of them. He he was a smart guy. If you read his writings, he was a smart guy. He knew everything was going on. He knew that there were differences. He just wanted to see these historic performances right listed somewhere. Um. So what, Bane? What are the politics involved with? the all-time world records well let's start with the most basic one tested versus non-tested what how would that affect anything and we all we all know that drug tested does not equal drug free and Correct. that's why i usually say drug tested mhm but there has always been criticism from those in drug tested organizations that michael Soong's list is invalid in their mind because it he doesn't he does list the Federation, but there's no listing of, you know, breakdown of tested versus non-tested. Same thing with the top 100 list. That was always a complaint yeah. by USAPL, IPF, ADFP, A-lifters you know, back the in gold the day. standard lifting, man, they complain a lot. <laughs> they did not like the top 100 list for that same reason. Um, and again, at this time, equipment was a big part of that because yeah. there was... Single ply versus multiply. There was squat bar versus not squat bar. Yeah. There was monolith versus walked out. Yeah. There was standard bar versus deadlift bar. All these little idiosyncrasies the, of equipment. The, the noodle bar, the cartoon bar. <laughs> Sorry, I'm seeing this now on social media, and I'm like, really? It's the, really? Ugh. So that was one of the big, you know, and especially when Raw became a thing, you know, in the late 2000s mm-hmm. to early 2010s, and, and eventually, we'll talk about that, that. Michael did add some raw to there. And we, we've already talked about his reasoning between squat, deadlift, total, and that kind of thing. Right. One of the big ones that I think was a sticking point a lot of people were is weigh ins. Um, and I get this. We talked about this last week, that we're going to talk about it more next week mm-hmm. when we, we do a full hour plus response yes. to Mark Ripito. Yes. But there was, you know, the complaints about two hour weigh ins versus 24 hour weigh ins, versus there's a lot of people in these old lists that were the original WPO where it was 48-hour weigh-ins. I'll have to say I understand the complaints there. I never really agreed with that. I understand. I, I, I guess I understood Kieran's thought process. His thought process was that people are going to cut weight anyways. Yeah. So let's just give them a couple days to recover so that they can optimally perform on the platform. Right. And as opposed to trying to do it in you know, one day, let's give them two days. And people aren't going to cut any more weight, which I think we, we was... We will not do it live. Yeah, that was wrong because Matt Kraslowski, when Jean Marie was Matt Kraslowski, it was definitely you know, cutting maybe 50 pounds down to the 220s, the old WPOs. If you go find some of those elite articles, yeah. I, when Jean Marie was Matt, there was some extreme cutting that went on in those WPO days. Yeah, that's wild. But the big thing is that Michael soon never got involved in the politics. He never commented on it. He never got involved. He just published the list as he thought he should do them. I don't make the news. I just report it. And that is truly how he saw himself. Even more, even more so than you know, some of the other organizations like Powerlifting Watch, mm-hmm. whom you know made some quote political stands at times on. Well, we're not going to allow people that wear compression shorts in our raw rankings. Right. And some things like that, which maybe was the right decision. Um, or I think there was, I can't remember if it was open powerlifting or powerlifting watch that said, yes, we're going to allow unsanctioned meets from specific meets, but not other meets. And there was some controversy around that. Yeah,
1: I think it was powerlifting watch that was allowing that. Well, I guess open powerlifting does allow some, like the the U.S. Open when it lost its sanction last year. Um, there was another one that, uh, that also, uh, I think it was Boss of Bosses actually lost its sanction.
0: Uh, and then they reason. re they re got that. Yeah,
1: afterward. I, I don't know. That was there was some weird went on there, but anyway.
0: Soon never got involved like that. He just again, like you said, he just reported the news, he reported the rankings. Yep. Um we talked about the list was originally only equipped. Mm-hmm. He first added raw bench because there were some historic benches that occurred before bench shirts even existed. Right. He started with those and especially as there started to be raw meats. I remember seeing in his records and rankings there started to be you know, some bench press without shirt is what he had called it at that point. Um, And then eventually around 2012, 2013, he started to add raw squat, bench, and total. And again, for previous reasons, did not add a a deadlift, but just stuck to raw squat and total. It'd just be too hard to go back because what he did do is he actually went back to old, if he could. He went back to historic powerlifting... um, Results, right? If they had occurred without a, if it could be confirmed they had been performed without a squat suit or without a bench shirt, mm-hmm. um, or without any equipment, then he would include that as part of his raw ranking. So hopefully everybody's legend is correct, or exact, uh, right? Same, so. Exactly. You know what was their sig- What is their significance? What was their significance, Bane? Um, you and I talked about this. That you know there are gyms there are training programs that were based are based on breaking all-time world records i mean that is i mean if if you if you go watch west side versus the
1: world that's that's what everything their entire thought process and their entire culture is based around that list that's all all that matters and 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 there are other gyms that are based around that too and there are entire training systems that their whole focus is Sung's List. Sung's List. So I mean, it, it might as well just be called training for Sung's List.
0: Right. Not even and powerlifting. Because the difference in how, say, Westside trains versus, you know, a gym that mostly lifts and IPF meets. Yeah. Uh, a gym that focuses on achieving an all-time world record, they don't care about how much equipment you're wearing. Nope. They're going to use a monolith. They're going to use specialized bars. Mm. They're plausibly going to use extra, quote, supplements. <sighs> how dare you. And not say that. the others aren't. But Correct. they're going to be a little bit more open about it. Correct. But yes, they're they don't care what federation they lift in a lot of times. Also true. And, and that. And there is a difference between a federation world record list and you know the all time world record list. Correct. And you know you can look on both sides of the coin because on one side of the coin you can say well we've got a standard and that's why in the APF or the WPC or the IPF we only allow these lifts per our standards. Right. You know, critics of that would say, "Well, that's just a list of what people had done in your organization, right? And it's not a real world record if it's not the all-time world record." Yeah, if, if it's not the biggest one, then it doesn't matter. Right, and that's what Sung's list looked to settle that argument. Right, on you know, hey, we've got the IPF world records, we've got the WPC world records, we've got the IPA world records, we've got the XYZ Robert Bain Power Federation <laughs> world records. They're all squats. That's all sorry. And who has the who has the highest one? And if there was no Soong's List, nobody would have known this. No, it would just be, argue, it would just be people
1: arguing back and forth. But I saw this, I saw that. And he he did a tremendous service to the powerlifting community of aggregating this data and, and bringing it to, and
0: not only aggregating it, but then sharing it in a way that was very communal. And very easy. I mean, he would email it. He would email the list to anybody who asked for him. Yeah. And if somebody broke a record or ranking, he would let them know. Yeah. Like, it's not, like and we talk about in the APF, like, if you break a record, you have to fill out a record application right? so they can verify it. Michael Soong didn't have it. There was no, like... Soong's list verification Right. For him. It was just he looked for the results. I mean, this was before, you know, Open Powerlifting, you know, had this giant database where they just dumped data into it and spat out any number of variations of which, things. Which I think is very much in the vein of what he was doing. Like, they really were taking, it was like
1: Sung 2.0 is essentially what Open Powerlifting is.
0: Yes you're right. Um, he did it on his own. Yeah. He didn't have a team. Of, and not that open power, open power lifting is also a volunteer thing. They but just it's still a team of people. They just have a bunch of people helping them because they made it open source. Right. Versus Sung just had his Microsoft Excel mm-hmm. and just would sort the data. And I, gosh, we have talked about this, Bane. Um, I did ask uh, the individual, Bill Shoemaker, who seemed to have some contact with the family and seemed to know the news. Yeah. I've asked him if you know there's any way that we can get some of this data yeah. and get it into the hands of open powerlifting. He said he think that might have already happened. Open powerlifting did post about his death yeah. on their uh Instagram story. It that wasn't in their just Instagram, you know, regular posts. It not, wasn't in their feed, it was in their story. And I I saw it and I actually tried to go back to it.
1: Uh, I had missed the 24-hour window, but that's how I found out about it was, was via Instagram.
0: Because I went back to try to find that, and I actually messaged them, and they just said, we just heard that he had died. Yeah. And that was all. Yeah. Um, so, you know, did people care about these records? Do people care about these records? I mean, I think undoubtedly, yes. There's definitely a certain percentage of lifters that care about it. I, I would say the majority of lifters who have been doing
1: this for, I would say, more than a couple beats. They care. If you, this is not a hobby that you just do casually, I don't think. I think at some point you make a decision like, I'm going to continue to compete and I want to get better, or just come, sitting here coming to the Illinois State meet and placing third in the Submasters 220, you know, classic raw class. It, it, at some point you say, this this kind of sucks.
0: And I always told people, you know, take it all in context. It mm-hmm. is super impressive to... Have the top lift on Soong's list. It is super impressive to be on the rankings. Yeah. At one point, Jackie Stone was a top 50 all-time squat in the 198s. I think uh, Mike Strom, you know, great former lifter of the Monster Garage. I think he was a top 50 all-time
1: bench and possibly total at 181.
0: Yeah, he was definitely, on the, he was definitely in the rankings. I remember getting some emails about, about Strom uh, yeah. back in the day. Um, so, But uh, along the same token, you do have to take some things in context. Were the lifts maybe done in the old WPO with a 40-hour WAN? Sure. Were they done maybe in a backyard SPF meet, which some of us may not consider to have the most stringent of judging? Right. Sure. And I do think that that is something that people did need at least to recognize, that, hey, like, it is... Soon didn't judge... The meets He didn't evaluate, well, this person did it in this meet and this person did that meet. That's why we have nationals, and that's why we have the WPO, and that's why there's the IPF Worlds, is to find out who's the best in this given scenario, and it's not necessarily always about what the top lift ever. Now, if you're Dave Hoff and you just happen to also break the all-time world (laughs) record total... Because you're Dave fucking Hoff. uh, ...while winning the biggest, you know, multiply meet in 10, 15 years, that's just... An added bonus, but in right. reality, you know, Dave Hoff's probably goal was to win the meet first, and then if he can break some records along the way, all the better. Yeah, I would say he essentially had a perfect day. So, and only did what seven lifts, and right? Only seven for seven. Did, yeah, no, he missed seven. one. I think he was six for nope. seven. He didn't miss a bench. Nope. Oh, okay. Got it all. Seven for seven. So, what's the legacy of Michael Soung and what's the legacy of the all-time world records band? What do you think? Given all this information we know or what we don't know. Yeah, I mean and that's that's the interesting thing about it is now it's this list feels very like
1: just shrouded in mystique. It kind of always did. Like I remember when I first heard about Sung's list, I had to go kind of look it up and uh that's how I got my Powerstation watch, you know, membership and which I never look at until PayPal tells me. Oh, by the way, you paid your
0: ten bucks this year. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I gotta and now that, that Soong's mean. gone, unfortunately, Powerlifting Watch I will cancel. Yeah, it, yeah, there's no point. Just go to OpenPowerlifting.com. Exactly. So, so the legacy is
1: is he he did it first. People have have talked about it, and, and the the whole reason for just sport in general is to determine who is the strongest, fastest, uh, you know, whatever. And he took it upon himself to say, okay. We we have this sport where we are just determining who are the strongest humans on the planet. I'm I'm gonna give us a way to see that. And he could have very easily charged a lot of money for this. People would have paid it. Yeah, no doubt. People pay dumb money for stuff in this sport. And he said, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to the people and from from everything that I can tell everything that you've been able to find, this is a guy who just he had a fascination with strength and he just wanted to see who can do it the best. And he liked statistics. He liked he enjoyed doing the work, and and so I think his the legacy of it is, you know, this great, amazing, giving heart to a sport that he owed nothing to, and and I think that's that's a, an amazing legacy. I think for the records themselves, my my hope is that someone doesn't just pick up the mantle of the records, but also picks up the spirit of them. That this is something to be given to the people. That that is my hope for this.
0: Yeah, and. No one can continue the work the way he did it. That's one thing no, that's, he, that's clear. He was a unique individual. And again, he's a man who we don't... He's passed now. We really don't know that much about. Yeah. We just know that he was a very smart guy. He was very sharp. He was very detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. As detail-oriented as you could ever imagine yeah. someone being. Mm-hmm. And that there is nobody that can replicate what he did. Now, there's maybe groups of people that can, you know hopefully duplicate what he was doing. But I do doubt that anybody can do it the way he did it. Not individually. Reaching out and letting people know when they broke records and when they, you know, ended up in the rankings. You know, powerlifting or openpowerlifting.com does really rely on us as meet directors sending them the results, yeah, unless they do some type of like API into the
1: the various databases that there is, they, they rely on you guys. It's solely on you, and they don't out the lifters,
0: right? And they they don't go out seek out the results. Now, they're, I think they've been trying to go out and find past results from you know Powerlifting USA, but they're right. relying. I mean, that is kind of relying on volunteers to go through some of those old issues, and they're relying on people to go and send all the old APF meet results and. Right. You know, I send my meet results to Jem mm-hmm. from Great Britain, mm-hmm. who then will put that into the the database. Right. And Michael Soon was just going out and finding all this. Even we talked about powerlifting watch that had their own rankings for a while and mm-hmm. had a subscription and did list Sung's records and rankings. Yep. They at one time they actually went out and got all the info under previous ownerships. Under their current ownerships, I'm not gonna say they're doing a bad job, but again they're relying on people to give them the info versus... Right. soong just went out and found it he went out and found everything it, everywhere looked under every nook cranny this is a know, rock life. right that's that's and he and this is i think is the one of
1: the cool things about it is you know with with what it seemed like his passion was was he wanted to be able to say i, I got them all i got right, everything. And, and like now nobody can say anything else like You're number one. You're number two. That's it, and that's that's how I feel. He his thought process was
0: right. Yeah, and and my only issue with OpenPowerlifting.com, which I think is continuing the spirit of what he was trying to do, is that there's so many categorizations of things. You know, it's like somebody will say I was number one in Open Powerlifting for (laughs)
1: 2018 275 submaster men uh, bench
0: only. Yeah, you know, raw with wraps. U.S. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and that's not say any of that is bad, but it just goes into this whole fracturization and individualization of the sport that sometimes can be good, but isn't always optimal. And there was something about that top 100 list in Polyfino, USA or this all-time rankings list that's like, hey, you truly knew who did the best. And hey, if you want to know who did the best you know, single-applied drug tests, you just look at who did the best at USAPL Nationals or IPF Worlds. Yeah. Versus if you want to see who did the best everywhere in anything, yep. um, you looked at Soong's list. Uh, agreed. And, and like you said, Michael Soong easily could have sold subscriptions and released, and, and, and maybe in some ways that would have been, that would have he would have gotten his message out even more. Maybe he could have done, hey, here's the yearly rankings. Yep. Here's where they stand and here's who did the most this year. Oh, and then someone's gonna whine because he didn't pay a subscription fee and they somehow didn't get on the list. Right. And he could have sold certificates. I mean mm-hmm. I think Powerlifting Watch think did that. Did. Powerlifting watch did that. Powerlifting USA if you look in the old powerlifting USA you could get certificates yeah from powerlifting USA for your top one hundred performance. You could pay them five bucks and they'd send you a certificate. Michael Soon could have done that easily. And I don't think any of us would think that he was taking advantage of anybody because no. As someone who has compiled results for meats and as someone who has done a little bit of website stuff and organization, the amount of work Michael Soung had to have done to compile these lists is beyond what any of us could even imagine. Oh yeah. It I, must have been his the entirety almost of his free time was combing through powerlifting meet results. Yeah. Um I remember having correspondence with him when he was upset because we were posting results only as PDFs and mm-hmm. then he couldn't you know, aggregate that data could, and could sort it. it yeah. And so we started then putting stuff out in Excel and PDF. Mm-hmm. PDF's is easier to see if you just click on it. Right. But if you actually want the data, then obviously Excel is better. Right, right. Um, it, it, it's something that I am... I'm sad that I don't know that what he's done will be continued. And I don't know that outside of this podcast and a few people that kind of knew him, I don't know that anybody can really appreciate what he did. And people would talk about the all-time world record list, and I would, you know, sometimes they would complain about, oh, they got that list wrong, or oh, that includes everybody, and that has bullshit meets. And it said, you know, it's just a guy that does this. Not to denigrate what he did, because we've just just talked for 30, 40 minutes praising what he did, but it was just one guy. It wasn't some, like, overarching governing body of powerlifting that released the all-time world records. This was a guy who who liked powerlifting, who liked strength sports, Mm -hmm. and did all this work on his own, and by all accounts got paid not nearly. Compared to the work he put in, he got paid nothing. Right. I mean, it sounded like at the end, because his rankings and results were only available on powerlifting watch maybe the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. And and I'm glad that he got paid something, because he did a lot of work on it. Right. So, as you said, compared to the amount of work he did, he wasn't paid hardly anything. He didn't do it to get paid, I can tell you that. No, he did not. He, he did, because if he, he truly wanted to monetize it, he could have done it differently. But
1: uh, Thank you, Michael Sung. I know I've, I've never met you. I know you never met him personally, but thank you.
0: Yeah, I thank you to Michael, and if any of his family ever listens to this, um, if anybody would like to reach out to us and give us any more information on Michael, I would we would give you as much time as you would like to tell us as much as you'd be willing to tell us about Michael soon, because he, as you said, is kind of like a, a man shrouded in mystery other than the all time world records. We know he was engineer. Mm -hmm. We know he's a smart guy. Um, my respect goes to Michael for the work he's done for the past 30 plus years in powerlifting. Um, I, it's, it's sad to, to hear that he had passed, um, And again, I I just hope that somebody or some people can, you know, at least continue on some of what he did. Yeah, that is a legacy that that truly should not go away. And um,
1: yeah, I said it's it's. This has been a heavy episode.
0: Yeah, no, it has been. We (laughs) talked about some talked about you know Kobe Bryant passing and yeah, my son getting his butt kicked (laughs) in a wrestling meet and and a passing of a guy who's been. A huge figure in powerlifting for a long time. Yeah, and 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 that's I, I would say if you're I, a, if I, you're a
1: lifter, you, you need to really think about what Michael Sun has done because he he basically did what all of us have talked about is I wonder who is the strongest at X and he he figured it out. He did the legwork to show who was the best, and I would say as a powerlifter, we we are all
0: forever in his debt. Could we say that there? is not the same west side barbell as we see it today had there not been the Michael Soon list. And vicariously, is then there not the same WPO and the same type of lifting atmosphere that we see today because of that? Right. You know, I mean, he was he's a big part of that. I mean, who knows what maybe Louie would have done differently had there not been that goal. And a lot of lifters. There's been a lot of lifters. I, I don't think Bain and I can emphasize this enough. There have been hundreds of lifters who have based their entire... Their life. Their life, their entire training protocols, the way that they train, how that they compete around getting on a list created by one man, Michael Soong. Just a dude. That's that's really like... Right, just a guy. He he was, I mean, and I'm not going to say that he was nothing because he was something. He did a lot. But as far as like... In the hierarchy of the powerlifting world, he was not in charge of a powerlifting organization. No. He was, as far as I know, he was not a referee. It sounds like he wasn't even necessarily a lifter for many years. He's like the ultimate fanboy, <laughs> right?
1: That's really and 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 I don't say that jokingly. I mean, that's just and, I, and I don't the think you say fan. that negatively. No, 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 not at all, not at all. That that has been as the highest compliment. He he took his love of all things strength and he and he just he turned it into something beautiful.
0: And had a, and had a definitive impact on the sport because, mm-hmm. again, had he not created the list, there wouldn't have been people that have pushed their bodies to the limits that they did mm-hmm. in order to try to break those all-time world records because they wouldn't have known. Yeah, If you, there wasn't the list, people wouldn't have known that, hey, the highest bench ever is X. They just would have thought, well, I'm lifting an APF meet, so the record is X, so I'm going to try to break X. Right. Now, is it possible that people still knew that there hadn't been an eight hundred, nine hundred pound bench at the top end? Sure, but go down the line. People know the top lifts, but did anybody without the list know the the one forty eight all time world record or the women's nope. you know one thirty two record? I mean, these, or, these things matter. Or they, the top yeah. rankings of coefficients. No, no yeah. one knew. And, no and one would have known and because he did
1: it globally. The the, the, the curtains were raised around the world, right? Because you, you have some of these guys, and I'll use Russia as the example, that are lifting over there, and it, it doesn't always make it back here. I mean, today in a connected world, it does more, but...
0: It definitely didn't 20 that, years not ago. Not in the 80s. <sighs> Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, it definitely didn't 20 years ago. Right, right. So rest in peace, Michael. Um, rest, in much, power, rest, rest in power, sir. Rest in power. Much respect to you, and uh, our condolences to the family. I mean, I know this did happen a little bit ago, but again, if anybody happens to... Come upon this episode. um, Just know that Bane and I did this episode in total respect to what Michael did. 100%. So next week, uh, we're going to have a lot of strength and a lot of anger. Oh, yeah, we are. It's not going to be as serious of an episode as it was today. No. Um, We're going to talk about Mark Ripito's article, quote, how to fix powerlifting. (laughs) And this was my what is bullshit last week. And after, you know, kind of... Sitting on it for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, um, I want to. I want to dive deeper into his whole article and all his points. And it's really kind of a a cornucopia of all Shit. the. Well, it's definitely a <laughs> cornucopia of bullshit. But it's going into all these bullshit arguments that people sumos cheating and people don't squat deep enough. And you know, oh, people, punch pe- yourself in the throat. People cut weight. People cut weight what? for a weight-class-based sport? That's freaking crazy. Man, no one ever does that in any other sport ever. Yeah, wrestlers definitely have been doing that for as long as there's been weight classes. But they're gladiators. So that's what we're going to talk about next week, Bane. So uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to print the article. I'm going to slice and dice it. We're going to go through it point by point, and I hope somebody sends it to Ripito and he could respond. That would be wonderful. Um, People have- I don't have anything against Ripito. Actually, on the surface... I like the fact that he's brought a lot of people to lifting weights and I probably agree with maybe 75 or 80% of what he says on, you know, I don't agree with the squat technique. I can tell you that a hundred percent and anybody who's come in here that's followed his protocol, they immediately get their technique adjusted by me. And I say, <laughs> if you want to squat that way, you don't want to be trained by me. Yep. And anything else to add on, uh, on anything Bane? You know, like I said,
1: it's, it's a heavy episode. Um, just appreciate when you go home tonight, or when you're, if you're sitting in your car, or you're you know on the train. Um, appreciate when you go home. Appreciate those around you. Hug them a little tighter. And, uh, that's all I got. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.